This year's Thanksgiving is being heralded as the 400th anniversary of the first Pilgrim Thanksgiving in 1621. Last week, in describing this Sunday service to come, I jokingly said that the Thanksgiving service that many of us um, were were taught to celebrate as a child is maybe 80% alive. Now, I have no idea what the actual percentage would work out to, but I was, I was pointing to the fact that growing up, many of us heard only a small slice of the truth. In many ways, it's sort of a sin of omission uh, as much as anything, that we only heard about perhaps 20% of the important parts of the story. Without further context, celebrating the 400th anniversary of Thanksgiving can give this mistaken impression that there's 400 years of unbroken tradition of more or less doing the the same thing. The historical reality is a lot more complex. To learn more about the rest of the story, I'd like to invite us on a brief tour of the past, the present, and some of what the future could look like of Thanksgiving. As our primary guide, I'll be drawing from an important book published a few years ago titled, This Land is Their Land. The Wampanoag Indians, the Plymouth Colony, and the Troubled History of Thanksgiving. It's by David Silverman, a history professor at George Washington University, so not far from here, who specializes in Native American, Colonial American, and American racial history. I actually recommend that book highly. It's it's quite accessible, uh, very interesting. So if you're curious to learn more, check out This Land is Their Land by David Silverman. I'll only be able to fill in a few of the gaps in our short time together, and there's a lot more details in Silverman's book that I'll have time to get to. But to begin, if we were to turn back the clock 400 years to 1621, there was a shared meal, a shared meal between the English colonists and some of the members of the Wampanoag tribe, but neither party thought of the event as a Thanksgiving. That's the first biggest thing that uh, we often get wrong anachronistically. At that time, the word Thanksgiving actually had the opposite connotation of a celebratory feast. When when Puritans talked about Thanksgiving, they meant a fast day where you refrained from eating. Uh, You spent most of the day at church in solemn reflection and prayer. It's actually, interestingly, much more common in character to what Dawn was describing about the day of mourning that she and her family are going to celebrate in Plymouth Rock this day. It's much more about fasting. It's much more about spirituality. was much more about what a Thanksgiving used to mean. So that's one major sense in which there is not this 400-year unbroken tradition of Thanksgiving. Instead, our contemporary conception of Thanksgiving was constructed over time due to a confluence of causes and conditions, and I'll be drawing some of them out this morning. It turns out that really, so you know, you start in 1621, and then for all the rest of the 1600s, throughout the 1700s, and into the first half of the 1800s, the word Thanksgiving had no link whatsoever to pilgrims and Indians all the way through the middle of the 19th century. It was almost exclusively celebrated regionally in Thanksgiving, in New England, excuse me, and at a variety of different times in late November. The shift toward a Thanksgiving holiday more similar to the one we're familiar with today dates back again just about a century and a half 
to the mid-1800s. And there are at least two major factors in shaping our contemporary Thanksgiving tradition. The first factor was the standardization of dates. And I don't have time to get into this story, but there, there was a lot of fighting about that. It's really interesting to see like states like resisting. We will, you know, we will not do what the federal government tells us anyway over the date of Thanksgiving. Um, but the first factor was the standardization of dates. And with going on decades, there was fighting over that. But it really started in 1863 when President Abraham Lincoln declared the last Thursday of Thanksgiving in 1863 was going to be a national day of Thanksgiving. And he really just had that one year in mind, kind of linking back to this Puritan tradition, this, this one day attempt to help foster unity amid the horrors of the Civil War. He didn't intend to start an annual tradition. Nevertheless, he did. In 1863, that occasion started this trend of increasingly large portions of the country celebrating a Thanksgiving meal at the same time. The second significant factor in creating the Thanksgiving traditions we know today, for better or worse, actually goes back to a seed planted by one of our own Unitarian forebears. He didn't actually know what he was totally doing either. He, he, he was actually acting in good faith in doing this. He just got the history wrong and then influenced a bunch of people. It was the Reverend Andrew Young, the minister of a Unitarian congregation in Boston. As some of you have heard me say before, you know, especially well into the 19th century, Unitarianism was about the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, and the neighborhood of Boston. So, you know, uh, so Reverend Young and this Unitarian congregation in Boston, one that doesn't exist anymore, uh, Keep in mind, as I tell you about this, again, that no account of the pilgrims published before the 1840s made any reference to either Thanksgiving or a harvest celebration in 1621. That began to change in 1841 when Reverend Young published a book titled Chronicles of the Pilgrim Fathers. And that included a single footnote that began to reverberate throughout history. It kind of dropped into the pond and, and rippled out. He had a single footnote referring to that 1621 event as, quote, the first Thanksgiving, quote, a comma, the Harvest Festival of New England. Slowly after 1841, over the second half of the 19th century, there's more to this story than we'll have time to get into. This conception of 1621 as the first Thanksgiving began to become increasingly widespread in the sense in which we think of it today. And eventually most of the general public began to take it for granted that the holiday as they knew it and had inherited had just of course always been that way for centuries, going back to 1621. But the truth is, it was a version of the story of much more recent origins that emphasized a particular white, northern, Protestant perspective and almost completely neglected the indigenous point of view. Now, I don't have time to go super into this either, but for those of you who were here a few weeks ago when we did the sermon on Foucault, Foucault would have a field day with Thanksgiving, tracing the archaeology and the genealogy of how it's changed over time and how people have lost the sense of that. Or stretching forward two weeks, I'll be doing a sermon for the first Sunday of Advent, and we're going to talk about how there's a similar messiness around the origins of Christianity and how it actually was a lot messier and more complex than is often granted. So it wasn't until the 1890s, a little more than a century ago, that you started to get public school classrooms filled each November with what we, what we now think of as these traditional Thanksgiving decorations, these problematically generic pilgrims, these problematically generic Indians, and corn and pumpkins and more, right? That all sort of started in the 1890s and then became ubiquitous. Prior to the late 19th century and early 20th century, there just wasn't that sort of standardized Thanksgiving iconography that, that we take for granted. Similarly, Thanksgiving parades 
do not date back to 1621. <laughs> they date back to the 1920s. And if we're honest, Thanksgiving parades, they really aren't about Thanksgiving. They're about business owners celebrating the beginning of the holiday commercial season. And although I can, again, cannot get into this, it also turns around that Jesus's life and teachings, his life goal was not to become the patron saint of fourth quarter earnings. Like I don't, <laughs> I hope that's clear to most of us, but that's a whole other thing that's kind of gotten mixed up in, in how all this has gone on over time. More recently, the most important shift in helping tell a more balanced version of the history of Thanksgiving, it happened in 1970. This is what Don was, was saying, and this is happening in Plymouth today. It happened in 1970, around the 350th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower, which of course was a year before 1621, when you had that first, that shared meal. In 1970, Frank James, a member of the Wampanoag tribe, helped start an indigenous people's movement, declaring Thanksgiving as a national day of mourning. And again, if we had more time, we could back up and say some of you will remember in 1969, so the year before 1970, there was a big indigenous takeover of the island of Alcatraz that sort of helped launch this, and that's all related to like, think of all the stuff going on, right? Like it says, Earth Day is starting, and you've got Stonewall Rebellion, and like so a lot of stuff is fomenting around this time. The 350th Anniversary Celebration Committee had originally invited James as the leader of the Wapanoags to give a speech from an indigenous people's point of view. But, and everyone was required to turn it, submit a copy of their speech in advance for review, and he told some difficult truths about the ongoing impact of colonialism as well as the impoverished state of many Wapanoag people that was really particularly difficult because where that community is in Plymouth, it's around a lot of very rich white estates that are sort of only occupied like a few weeks a year. It's just a very difficult. And although James's speech was generally viewed as both historically accurate and fairly moderate in tone, it was not laudatory enough for the committee, because that's what they were going for, and that they just wanted all praise and no blame. After being uninvited to the official celebration, they said, fine, we're going to actually do it 100% our way. And that's, that started this National Day of Mourning. And for this first National Day of Mourning, there was a protest that included, you know, they were just going to give a speech. <laughs> but after being uninvited, uh, activists um, boarded the Mayflower II replica, tore down English flags, threw the cannons in the harbor. Uh, they threw sand on Plymouth Rock as a symbolic burial of the Pilgrim's Landing site. They went to the 350th anniversary celebration. And again, in good Jesus style, overturned the tables, but first they took the turkeys so they could take those home and eat them. In retrospect, I suspect the committee wished they could just go back and let James give his original fairly moderate remarks. If you visit the town of Plymouth today, you will find a plaque about the National Day of Mourning tradition. It says this, since 1970, Native Americans have gathered at noon on Coles Hill in Plymouth to commemorate a National Day of Mourning on the United States Thanksgiving holiday. Many Native Americans do not celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims and other European settlers. To them, Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of millions of their people, the theft of their lands, and the relentless assault on their cultures. Participants in the National Day of Mourning honor Native ancestors and the struggles of Native people to survive today. It is a day of remembrance and spiritual connection, as well as a protest of the racism and oppression which Native Americans continue to experience. 
So as we approach the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving, with a big old asterisk, uh, you know, of all the caveats and complexities we've been exploring, it's equally significant to consider this year as the 51st anniversary of the National Day of Mourning, those sort of twin tellings of our nation's history. So where then might we go from here regarding the past and the present and the future of Thanksgiving? Let's start with just a few more considerations about the past, then move to possibilities for the present and future. Regarding the past, I invite us each to reflect on what can you do within your spheres of influence, you know, to make changes, to advocate for a more honest and full accounting of what has come before. That can include a lot of different things. I'll limit myself to two in particular that seem significant to me, and you can decide what seems significant to you. First, a more honest and full accounting of Thanksgiving's origins would include an acknowledgement that the original event, it just wasn't the big deal that it is often made out to be. For the original participants, it really was little more than a small blip on their radar. English records that run hundreds of pages that we still have copies of give a handful of lines to what we now think of as the legendary first Thanksgiving and then only in passing. The Wampanoags do not appear to have put much stock in that meal either, in particular. Moreover, as we've already explored, no one thought of that meal as a Thanksgiving, which had connotations of the time, again, of fasting and of going to church for most of the day. A more honest and full accounting of Thanksgiving's origins would also start the story earlier and tell it from an indigenous point of view. It would include details of the indigenous civilizations on this land that go back thousands of years. It would also tell the more recent history that happened just in the few years right before 1620 and 1621. The way I learned this Thanksgiving story growing up in South Carolina, and you can think of what was true for you, the Indians were said to be wary of the pilgrims at first because they were naive and thunderstruck. They had never seen you know, Europeans before. The unfiltered truth, it turns out, is exactly the opposite. Every action the Wapanoags took in 1620 and 1621 was deeply informed by the legacy of many Europeans they had encountered prior to that point, who had visited their shores in prior years and left behind a wave of enslavement, of murder, of theft, and of mourning. You know, desecrating the graves. They're just, you know, taking their food, uh, just, just terrible, to, you know, literally enslaving, right? Taking, taking Wampanoags, uh, in, enslaving and taking, so. In particular, in the years just prior to the 1620 arrival of the Mayflower, the Wampanoag and many other indigenous people had been devastated by a pandemic. So from 1616 to 1619, there was a devastating smallpox epidemic brought to this land by previous European colonizers. Now that wasn't necessarily always their intent, but the impact was bringing this disease. Similar to the impact, we were constantly hearing at the beginning of this pandemic about the novel coronavirus, right? The reason it's so dangerous is that it's novel to our system. And that was very similar. The smallpox was a novel disease to the indigenous peoples of North America. None of the adults had developed resistance through exposure in childhood, and therefore nearly everyone, who became, nearly everyone became ill at the same time with no one left to provide care. Without modern medicine, we're talking about 70 to 80% of people had died just prior to like that. That's what it, there'd just been this massive, devastating epidemic. So overall, the first Thanksgiving, it was a much more minor affair and had just a much grimmer background than is often acknowledged. 
Now let us turn to the present and where we might go from here in light of all that we know of what has come before. To begin, I'm reminded of a film that came out a little more than 20 years ago titled The Ice Storm. It was directed by Ang Lee. Has anybody seen The, the Ice Storm? It's really quite a good film. I see just a few, few hands. Beautiful cinematography. Uh, it's set during the Thanksgiving holiday of 1973, not long after that first National Day of Mourning in 1970. And in, in one of many unforgettable scenes, the parents force their teenage daughter to say a prayer at the beginning of the Thanksgiving meal. And this is a, a daughter who'd been learning a lot of trouble, troubling things about her country in the early 70s and learning some of this history. So being forced to pray, this is what she says. Dear Lord, Thank you for this Thanksgiving holiday and for all the material possessions we have and enjoy. And thank you for letting us white people kill all the Indians and steal their tribal lands and stuff ourselves like pigs, even though children in Asia are being napalmed. I think of that film scene sometimes as emblematic of telling this history, and it's one way of doing it, telling it just with brutal honesty. You know, just, just laying it out there. But that's not always the only or best way. Uh, a more mature perspective, uh, le a little bit less adolescent, though there's a lot of wisdom sometimes in those, that adolescent truth-telling. Uh, let me also lift up an excerpt from a speech made a few years ago by the head of the Wapanoag tribe addressing how Thanksgiving uh, is responded to in the present from various indigenous perspectives. He said, the Thanksgiving holiday is complicated for our people. We are forever intertwined with the American Thanksgiving myth, however inaccurate it may be. Some of our people choose to observe this day as a day of mourning. Some choose to celebrate it in a thoroughly American way. Many choose a different path, spending the day with family and friends, but acknowledging our unique history as indigenous people and our connection to this day. I appreciate his point that there is no one simple correct way of how to celebrate this holiday in the present. If, however, there is one aspect of contemporary Thanksgiving that has the largest consensus, it is simply the practice of gratitude of Thanksgiving as we have come to understand it even if that understanding doesn't go back in some simple way 400 years. It is that sense of practicing gratitude that I invoke at the end of our benediction each Sunday when I urge us, including myself, to live boldly and with thanksgiving, to practice gratitude in our lives. Along these lines, there are a number of indigenous educators who emphasize the practice of gratitude as part of the Thanksgiving holiday at its best, even as they also emphasize age-appropriate ways of telling the hard truths about Thanksgiving, that we needed to be doing both these things. And from an indigenous perspective, such a practice of gratitude often includes, again, in the words of this head of the Wapanoag tribe um, today, he often emphasizes being thankful that we are still here, you know, from an indigenous perspective, despite all of the uh, adversity faced. It, it, it's sort of similar to that joke you hear on Jewish meals that many Jewish holidays are about, you know, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. It's a, it's a similar sense of thanksgiving. I'll also say if you are reading Braiding Sweetgrass, either on your own or as part of the uh, uh, anti-racism book groups, you can join that. Uh, it's on our webpage, join it weekly, uh, that tells uh, this sort of indigenous and science perspective together. There's some beautiful passages in that book about, uh, about thanksgiving and these kind of beautiful elaborate prayers of thanksgiving from an interdependent perspective and earth-based um, way of being in the world. 
So as I move toward my conclusion, I'll just briefly address the potential future of Thanksgiving. Thankfully, the sermon is just one small part of a growing movement to reconsider Thanksgiving in a way that I think is much more commonly seen than, than used to be a few years ago of reconsidering both Thanksgiving in particular as well as indigenous people's rights and perspectives more broadly. We explored some of these possibilities in our recent service on decolonization, that, that's in our sermon archive, on um, the Sunday service closest to Indigenous Peoples Day this year. There was also a major focus at the annual UU General Assembly in 2020 on our deepening partners as Unitarian Universalists with indigenous leaders to explore how to coexist in right relationship with one another and this land that we occupy. Many of these programs are part of a showcase that's still available free. I've actually linked it. It's on our website. If you look on the right-hand side underneath just the announcement about this Sunday service, there's a link to that sermon archive. It'll also be in the e-newsletter that will come out this next week if you want to follow up on some of those videos. For now, I'll leave you with these words on reframing Thanksgiving from my colleague, the Reverend Dr. Susan Frederick Gray, who is the current president of our Unitarian Universal Association. She says that in this season of turning and change marked by so much heartbreak and loss, I continue to be inspired by the ways that Unitarian Universalists are actively showing up, willing to deeply examine the complicity of our nation's stories and hiding the truth of the brutality and conquest of peoples and lands that have been the foundation of the United States' history and our continued perpetuation of racial and caste-like systems of hierarchy and domination. May we keep doing this work to dismantle these myths and offer a bolder, more powerful yes to the liberating change that is possible within our faith communities and within our larger communities and for our planet. And on this day, let us be grateful in a genuine matter and let our gratitude flow from our deep ongoing commitment to justice and equity. Let our gratitude grow from the beauty and abundance of the earth and the miracle of life. Let our gratitude grow from the opportunities we have, together, we have to be together authentically, both in person and virtually, in the fullness of our humanity. And may we continue to grow in our capacity for courage, for compassion, for solidarity, and for justice within and beyond our communities. So as we each reflect on how we feel called to show up this Thanksgiving uh, in the present and in the future, let's listen together. So we give thanks.